When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's Sunday, February 18th, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Episode 250 brought to you in part by RX Bar. Get your fix today with 25% off your first order. Just simply visit rxbar.com slash CLNS and use promo code CLNS at checkout. And with that, we are back. Adam Kaufman here with you on Celtics Beat. It's been a while. I've missed talking to you. It's good to be here. Great to be on this platform. And my thanks to these guys for giving me the opportunity. I'm really excited. Larry H. Russell, you all know him. He did a phenomenal job. Evan Valenti as well recently. And I'm just really looking forward to sinking my teeth into this podcast for a good long while because we have so much to talk about as it concerns the Boston Celtics, the rest of the NBA And later on in this program, in just a a few short minutes, really, I'm going to be joined by Chris Mannix from Yahoo Sports, senior writer who does an incredible job covering the league, has a whole lot of opinions too, and he is going to help us dissect exactly what is going on with the Boston Celtics. And quite frankly, wish I was kind of taking over this thing on a higher note. We'll get to that in a moment, though. If you're unfamiliar with me, with my work, one, that's a shame. Shame on you. Get me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. I'm very interactive there, and I look forward to talking to you. But just a, a few of the about me highlights and I don't mean me telling you about myself and my career and boring stuff like that I mean about me and as it relates to the Boston Celtics just some beliefs some opinions that I have and and here they are and if you disagree again light me up on Twitter if you want but but I feel very firmly about all of these things Paul Pierce unquestionably top five player in Celtics history. Love that his number went up to the rafters recently, like there was any debate, of course, it was going there. But he is not, I'm sorry, Cedric Maxwell or Robert Parrish. Actually, I don't even know if Max said it, but Robert Parrish and others, he's not better offensively than Larry Bird. That is ridiculous. And and Robert, you played with Larry, okay? No better. Doc and Ray, this... This double standard, it's the hill that I will die on. The fact that Ray Allen is so, so hated around here still, the vitriol, while Doc Rivers is beloved. It's not even like I hate Doc Rivers. I really don't. He was fine. He's a fine coach, vastly overrated, but a fine coach. But the way that he is accepted and viewed in this city as compared to Ray Allen, I don't even want to do it right now. I'd go on for hours. Point is, if you don't like Ray Allen, you don't like Doc Rivers. That's the way it should work. And quite frankly, you should still like Ray Allen and dislike Doc Rivers because he's the one that quit on the Celtics, not Ray, who left under his own terms as a free agent. Whatever. Again, I'm going to go wildly off topic. I will do this forever, and it's only going to piss me off and probably you. But the double standard there is absurd. During that era, though, 2018, one 
one of my favorites. How could it not be? Everybody's as well. Eddie House, though, that was my favorite player from that era, and I spent two years searching for his jersey, a Celtics jersey, and I found it. The old one, the green with the black lettering, the white stitching, I found it. It still hangs in my closet. I wear it from time to time just around the house. I'm not one of those guys that necessarily wears a jersey in public unless it's, you know, like a replica from the Mighty Ducks movie. Al Horford, I'm a defender. Marcus Smart, I'm a defender there, too, although, admittedly, I still look back to that Marcus Smart draft when he was taken sixth overall, and I so, so badly wanted the team to take Julius Randle instead. I really did, and I still think about that sometimes. I just, now that Randle especially is coming into his own and, and becoming a player, and I love Smart, I view him as, as almost invaluable. Not to say I'd pay him anything, so I realize that immediately flies in the face of what I'm talking about. I love Smart, but man, I'm a big Randall guy. Uh, I would not trade Jason Tatum in a package for Anthony Davis. I, I've upset Twitter about that a number of times. I think that can stand alone. Now, when I say that, I don't mean one for one. Like, obviously, that's a no-brainer, but that would never happen. It's not even mathematically feasible under the, the cap rules in the NBA. But in a package to get Anthony Davis, provided that ever happens, I'd give up Jalen Brown. I would not give up Jason Tatum. Isaiah Thomas, there's so many things with this guy. And I'm a fan. I really am. Even though he block me on Twitter. I'm a fan. But here's one thing I've always hated. I hated it when he was in Boston. I don't think he's really done it since. He hasn't been healthy enough, quite frankly. We haven't had that IT time, that that Mr. Fourth Quarter time, King in the Fourth, all that stuff. But I always, even even when he was lighting up other teams in the playoffs or regular season, I hated the looking down at his wrist thing. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. The IT time, so dumb. Uh, in the spirit of where we are right now in the calendar, the NBA absolutely blew it, not televising the All-Star Draft. That would have been a ratings bonanza for basketball fans and left us all hanging. You better do it right next year. Adam Silver knows that. These guys need to get over themselves. So freaking sensitive. Uncle Drew movie is going to be coming out, what, June, I think? I don't know. It's relatively soon. Uh, So... Here's how I feel about uh, basketball movies. Actually, I, I have a lot of opinions on basketball movies, but I'll just, I'm going to shout out one quick one. Eddie, better basketball movie than Celtic Pride. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not that Whoopi Goldberg is the best. Certainly don't like the Knicks more than the Celtics. It's just a better executed movie. Celtic Pride is a fun little whatever movie. Anyway, those, those are some some just quick little riffs. And of course, as far as the, the bio goes... I used to host a Celtics-related program on the radio, had a couple of listeners, and now, once again, I'm thrilled to be here. Seas are 40-19 and 19 at the All-Star break. We would all take that, if told, back when Gordon Hayward went down, that you know, when it seemed like the season may be coming to a crashing end, and I say that in, in the scope of them being Eastern Conference contenders, you know, a, a chance to really reach the finals. Not a lot of people thought they could reach the NBA finals without Gordon Hayward, and now it is conceivable. It really is. I don't know about likely with the way they played obviously and we'll get there but it is still conceivable so 40 and 19 we'd all take that but what have you done for me lately world that we live in it's been ugly seas were swept on their three-game homestand twice in the last month as a matter of fact that's happened there after allowing a a season high 129 points the other night to the clippers they have now lost three in a row four of five nine of 15 they're playing maybe their worst basketball of the year there's miscommunication there's no attitude or toughness or effort there's a lack of chemistry lack of consistency. The Seas routinely are getting outplayed, and that has to stop. And and Brad Stevens has talked about the need to maybe tinker with his rotations, and I'm going to ask Chris Mannix about that, because I don't know what he's going to do. I really don't. I don't know if Chris knows what he's going to do, but hopefully has some insight into it, because that is not an easy question to answer when you have the talent 
that you have on this team and the way it's broken up. Like you're not, it's not all of a sudden. People have asked me this on Twitter again at Adam M Kaufman. Are you going to sit Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum? And I don't mean sit them, bench them. I mean move them to the bench from the starting rotation. No, you're not. You can only really play with a big, right? Kyrie's not going anywhere. Tatum's not going anywhere. Brown's not going anywhere. Horford's not going anywhere. So you got one guy, one guy. You can play with Aaron Baines. You can you can mix and match there at the five or certain nights at the four. You know, see a little bit more Marcus Morris. But Brad has been tinkering all along. I don't know what the answer is there. As far as what is going on, though, defensively, yes, the absence of Marcus Smart is a huge part of that, and he was stupid in Los Angeles, and he would be the first one to tell you that. He talked to Steve Bullpett about that, as a matter of fact, in, in an article that came out a few days ago. He leads the charge in the toughness scale and work ethic, and it's contagious. He's so much more than not a good shooter. He's, a, he's, he's all energy and effort and intensity all the time. The guy would die for a loose ball in a game at the Y, never mind what he will do in a preseason game or obviously out on court any given night in the NBA. While plenty of players take nights off waiting for the playoffs, Marcus Smart is not a guy like that. The C's, I, I can promise you, promise you, Celtics over the last couple of weeks would not trail by 29 to Toronto or 26 to Indiana or 29 to Cleveland or certainly all three of those with Marcus Smart in the lineup. It's just not reality. He's been out 11 games. Over the last seven, Boston's defensive rating has been 109.3. 109.3. That is nine points per 100 possessions worse than where they stand on the season overall. They're still, if you can believe this, Celtics are still first in the NBA in defensive rating. Spurs are next, about a point behind them. Caesar at 100.9. Still first. Still the best defensive team in the NBA, if you can wrap your head around that. It's just they have not played like it. Without Marcus Smart, over 11 games, the defensive rating is 105.2. Previously, the first 48 games, and I know Smart missed a couple early on, but the first 48 games that Smart largely played in, 99.8. A difference of five and a half, almost six points per 100 possessions. They have a negative rating, a negative net rating without Marcus Smart. He's important. For all the people that, that think he's useless or worthless or or he's, he hurts you offensively, he has worth. The offense, offensive rating, it's identical in the time with Smart versus without Smart. The defensive rating, again, vastly different. The rebounding rating, a little bit different. The effective field goal percentage, they actually shoot better. I'm not going to say specifically with Smart on the floor, but at least when he's been in the lineup. And it's easy to cherry pick a 48-game sample versus an 11-game sample. I most certainly get that. But this is the reality. This is where things are. And and the C's have been very poor without Marcus Smart. And some of that is coincidence. Some of that is is tougher opponents, certainly. But Smart has to be having a hard time watching this. He he really does. He admitted as much to Bullpet. In fact, he said, it's been real tough just as a competitor. I have to sit there. I have to watch it. There's nothing I can do to help my team. It's tough, but regardless of that, we got to figure out a way to fix it and win games. In the NBA, guys are going to get hurt and guys are going to miss games and you got to find a way to win. Well, Marcus, don't inflict yourself with a problem. Come on back, all right? You're needed desperately. All right, so let's You've heard enough of me, and there'll be plenty more of this going forward in future shows and, and other things, cool things that we have planned around uh, my my joining CLNS and, and just future shows and ideas and getting you guys more involved because, as you know, 
from back when I was doing Celtics at 7. Listener interaction is is what I'm all about. I don't like to monologue at you as I have been doing for the last 12 minutes or whatever it's been. So we're going to get you guys more involved. I promise you that. In fact, we'll get some tweets at the end of the show. Just some questions that you guys had before we get out of here. But let's uh, welcome in Chris Maddox, senior writer at Yahoo Sports. Still does great work with the NBA there. And uh, obviously at NBC Sports Boston, you've seen him as an analyst on set, on the sidelines, even as the color commentator recently. Chris, when's the play-by-play debut? Uh, I don't think that anybody wants to see me on play-by-play. I went to <laughs> boxing blow-by-blow, and it was as big a debacle as, as you might imagine. So it's all about finding your, your comfort zone then. Exactly. All right, well, the Seas, they're maybe still looking for theirs, pal, because they entered the break with losses in 9 of 15 since that London trip. We're going to delve into all the problems, but just on the whole, I mean, people really want to know, how can these problems be corrected? Well, I mean, I think some of the defensive problems are addressed with Marcus Smart coming back. I mean, they've had real problems with, you know, triple penetration, whether it's, you know, guards, small forwards, getting to the basket, uh, pretty easily. So I think Smart's defense is, will be a welcome uh, uh, you know, asset coming back. And, and really, some of it's just toughness. I mean, they, they've been getting bullied a lot over the last couple of weeks, whether it's Toronto, Indiana, Cleveland. Uh, physical teams have come in and, and knocked them around. And you think they'd be better equipped nowadays to handle that with Baines and now Monroe and Daniel Tice in the mix. But they've got to stop getting kind of pushed around uh, out there. Teams are just you know walking up to them early punching them in the mouth and, and Boston can't recover. And I think the other thing is that, you know, the Celtics played with fire a little bit early in the season with the number of times they fell behind and, and rallied. And they're still falling behind. They're just rallies are now are coming up uh, a little bit short. So they've got to come out with a different type of intensity in that first uh, 12, 13 minutes of the game to, uh, to make sure they don't you know fall behind by double digits at halftime. Part of that, too, Brad Stevens always said that the 16-game winning streak was a mirage, and he's still standing by that. So assess the team with 23 games left. I mean, is this who they are, or was that who they were? What should we expect down the stretch and into the playoffs? Well, I mean, I think a, a mixture of both, probably. Um, you know, I, I think they're capable of getting to the conference finals, maybe even the finals. Uh, but I think they're just as capable of losing in the the first round. I mean, they're... You know, they're, they're a team that, that, that is vulnerable to more physical teams. If the three-point shot's not falling, they can get beat. Uh, so I think that it's kind of a mixture of both. I mean, I am curious to see what they look like at, at full strength. I am wondering if they do get anybody in this buyout market that can sort of flesh out that bench and give them a score. Uh, but, but right now I think they're, they're right in the middle of what they've shown uh, all season long. If the three's falling and Al Horford's playing at a high level, they're, they're tough to beat. If those things aren't working, I mean, they're, they're very vulnerable to – that's kind of what we saw in the, the first round against the Bulls last year. If Rajon Rondo had been healthy, I mean, we, we wouldn't be talking about a conference finals run, but we would be talking about a, a, a sort of historic first-round exit. As far as Smart, for all the shooting woes and, and all the issues that he may have on offense, how important, how vital is he to this team's success, even going beyond the, the attitude and effort that is contagious defensively, just as a player and what he brings, or does it sort of springboard off of that? Well, I think he's... he's incredibly vital to what they do defensively. I mean, offensively, you know, you need them to make shots because that second unit is, is, is vulnerable at times to, you know, the streakiness of Rozier and Tice and, and, of course, Smart. So you'd like to see some consistency, especially for a guy that, that is willing to jack it at all times. I mean, he just, you know, fires up threes, you know, whatever he wants to. Uh, defensively, though, his versatility is, is such a huge asset. I mean, whether it's, you know, on a guard or we've seen him on the Kristaps Porzingis of the world, I mean, 
he's just capable of digging in and, and getting stops at, at multiple positions. And, and that's what this team's needed. I mean, there's been, been too many, you know, guys just sort of charging into the paint and carving them up. And, you know, I don't care how good a defensive team you are. I don't care how versatile you are. If you can't stop Joel penetration, you can't beat anybody. So, you know, him being back and able to kind of, you know, stop some of that is, is going to be huge. I'm going to have Chris hang on for just a second. I want to tell you today's show is powered in part by RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar. What does that mean? Well, RX Bars are made with 100% whole ingredients. They want to be transparent and upfront with their customers, which is why they label their core ingredients. Egg whites, dates, nuts, sounds like kind of the Tom Brady diet. It's all there on the front of the package and ingredients that make the texture and taste on the back. 100% real cacao I had to look that up. I'm not kidding. Cacao, I don't know what that is, but it's a bean. I can tell you that, but I definitely didn't know how to pronounce it. Coconut, all of that is there. Beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes, RX bars actually taste delicious. They found creating a bar made from real whole food ingredients actually tastes better than anything that's out there. RX bars, they don't need fillers, the additives, the chemicals, or added sugar. So I'd encourage you, go out there, have one. RX bars core ingredients do all the talking. It's simply like eating three egg whites, two dates, six almonds, no BS. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there is an RX bar for you somewhere. RX bars come in 11 delicious flavor varieties. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no added sugar, no artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. RX bars are a perfect snack for any occasion. I'm going to go out and get some for my kids as soon as I'm done recording this because it's just I'm trying to come up with new things to feed them, and it seems like they genuinely are delicious and healthy and actually good for you. It's hard to find things like that. You can get your fix today with a 25% off your first order guarantee. Just simply visit rxbar.com slash CLNS. Use the promo code CLNS at checkout. Once again, that is rxbar.com slash CLNS. Use the promo code CLNS at checkout for 25% off your first order. All right, we'll get back to the current day situation, but just on smart, do you expect the C's to re-sign him? And if you do, what's the number? Uh, I think they'll let the market kind of dictate what uh, what Marcus Smart's value is. Um, you know, like I think they have a number in their head. You know, whatever they offered Marcus in the um, in the in the last off season, you know, probably around ten million dollars per year, eleven million dollars per year. Uh, I think they're willing to pay that. Um, and I think they'll say to Marcus, if you can get a better deal, go out and, and get one. And and we'll uh, we'll see what happens. But as you've seen with with Lou Williams, and you know, uh, of course, as, as everybody's kind of written at this point, the the marketplace for for, for everyone really is going to dry up this summer. I mean, I don't think that a Gary Harris type of deal is out there for, for Marcus Smart. I don't think there's a bunch of teams out there willing to do it. I mean, there are teams that, that really like Smart. I mean, Denver likes him a lot. Sacramento loves him. But these teams have the kind of cap flexibility to offer a you know, $15, $16 million per year deal to a guy that you know not only is, is still inconsistent with his shot, but also continues to show maturity issues. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. So I think Boston's in a good place to – get Marcus back uh, long term and I think they'll do it because you know even though if you bring him back uh, bringing him back they may not they may not mean they, they want him on the team long term but uh, it gives them another you know movable asset if they choose to make a deal down the line he has to be really frustrated, right? I mean, never mind the self-inflicted hand injury and, and missing all this time as a result of that. I was I was one of the people, I don't know about you, who felt going back to the beginning of the year, while it was awful, it sucked, that Gordon Hayward went down, 
after all the talk from less so smart Moore's agent in the offseason about he's going to go out and have a career year and he's going to get paid and, and all of that, I thought that the Hayward injury was actually good for Smart in the sense that he could go out, get more opportunity if that shot started to fall more consistently, which I did, I guess, foolishly believe it would. But for the year to have transpired the way it has and, and for him to have lost all the money that seemingly he will, coupled with the market as you already outlined, it, it's hard to imagine he's in a really good place mentally. No, it's 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 got to be extremely extremely frustrating for for a Marcus Smart. I mean, he and I think too the 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 lack of of a deal at the start of the season really messed him up. I mean, I think he thought he was the Celtics were going to come to an agreement that they were going to you know give him you know kind of market value, but not having that didn't really affect the first month of the season. Then he gets hot and you know starts to play good basketball. Then he gets hurt again. I mean, he, yeah, it's got to have been a a frustrating season for him, but I think the the upside of it all is that you know Marcus has an opportunity over the final two months of the playoffs to erase a lot of the things that happened uh, during this year. I mean, if he plays well down the stretch, and if Boston advances to the conference finals in in part because of of what he's he's been doing, I mean, I think they've you know he'll be able to to enhance that value significantly. Who's more important? Not who's the better player, but who's more important for this team this year and beyond? Smart or Terry Rozier? It's a good question. I'd probably say Terry Rozier because I think there's a stronger commitment to Rozier than there is to Smart. I mean, teams call about Terry Rozier all the time. He's one of the most sought-after players on that Celtic roster. Um, and, and and Boston continues to refuse to even consider putting him in deals. Hmm. Now, part of that right now is you know the, the value of the contract. He's you know under a a very uh, team-friendly type of deal, that rookie deal. But you know, they like him a lot, and, and why not? I mean, he's, he continues to improve every single year. And, you know, when, when he has that shot going and when he shows the poise that he's shown in the last few weeks, you know, playing the point guard position, yeah, he has, has a ton of potential. So I think it's, it's Rozier because I get the sense that, that there's more long-term value from uh, on Rozier than the organization there is uh, for Smart. Kind of feels like we talk about him the same way we used to talk about Avery Bradley, right? You know, a bit underrated, better than maybe we think he is offensively. Each year there's a new skill, there's there's a new aspect to his game that wasn't constant improvement. I know they're not the same player, but in that vein, there's sort of similarities. Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of similarities uh, there. I mean, Bradley was, as you know, kind of a self-made offensive player. Came into the league with a defensive reputation and... You know, turned himself into one of the more one of the better two-way players uh, in the NBA. And, and Rozier, you know, I don't know if he came with the same kind of defensive rep as, as Avery did, but you know, he certainly was more of a wild card in terms of what he could do uh, offensively. Now, um, you know, the, the way he sort of developed as a playmaker, I think there are a bunch of teams in the league that view him as a long-term starter. And, and, I, and I think if you know, Boston holds on to him, um, you know, we all know about like Anthony Davis, you know, sort of scenarios and, and other big fish scenarios, his value as a major trade piece goes up as well. All right, let's circle back here, get get back to the, the current issues, because, again, Boston's known for the defensive intensity first, still somehow first in the NBA in defensive efficiency, despite giving up 100-plus points in what, I don't know, feels like nightly for more than a month, and I think it goes beyond missing Marcus Smart. You already highlighted a lot of that. How much of this is on Brad Stevens, though? Because, look, I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. He's basically my life coach, but he's not infallible. No, I, I agree, and... You know, if we're going to credit Brad Stevens for, you know, all the success of the last two years and and being one of the top coaches in basketball, we you know have to criticize him when when the team goes kind of south there. And I think, you know, maybe it's 
one thing I would look at is kind of player accountability there, getting into these guys a little bit more. I mean, as I said at the top, this team has been punched in the mouth a lot over the last you know couple of months, a couple of weeks, should say, and and they haven't really responded all that well. They continue to fall behind, and they, and they haven't really adjusted or corrected for that um, you know since the start of the season. A lot of that's on the coach. I mean, Brad Stevens is still an elite coach, a guy that that draws up incredible plays at the end of games, mm-hmm. and you know clearly has the respect of his team, but. You know, he, he's got to find a way to get these guys going early on. He's got to find a way to make sure that they leave the locker room and they're ready to go because, you know, if you go into a playoff game, you know, let, let's look at the back end of the bracket for a second. I mean, you know, Detroit, when they get Reggie Jackson back, they're going to be really tough in the first round. Milwaukee, same thing. Um, you can't fall behind these teams in the playoffs and expect to, uh, to win. So I think that, uh, you know, that, that, yeah, definitely Brad Stevens has some accountability. Well, in case in point, the Bulls last year, and that was not a very good yeah. team, but, you know, took those first couple games. Rondo gets hurt, as you said, and who knows which way that thing plays out. But the offense, as far as not to double down on, on criticizing Stevens, but the offense, it's been inconsistent all year for the group. I think part of that, obviously, a large part of that is the talent. But Brad finally alluded to changes to the rotation after the break. So what would you expect? What makes sense here? Well, I mean, I don't think you get too dramatic with it. And uh, one thing I'd be concerned about is if you pull Aaron Baines from the lineup, you run the risk of losing him even more mentally. Uh, Baines has been such an instrumental part to this team's defensive success. And I do think the signing of Greg Monroe has adversely affected him. Uh, so I think you want to keep him kind of there. And I don't know. I don't know where you go. I mean, do you you know move a Brown or a Tatum to the bench? No. Um I think maybe you give some other guys some opportunities, but you really want to see more of like Shemi Ojale and, hmm. and Abdul Nader. I mean, I, I they're, they're nice players, but I don't think you mix up the rotation too much. I think you just kind of hope that Smart changes your defensive identity and you know, they just kind of get it over the All-Star break. And things click and they stop falling behind by as many points as they do. You mentioned Jason Tatum. He's had some struggles for a little while now. Certainly has not been the same guy since he dislocated that finger. So is that a convenient excuse, or can we call this the rookie wall? Is the finger the problem? What's the difference between those two ends of the spectrum? Yeah, I think it's more the the, the, the proverbial rookie wall that's out there. I mean, Tatum um, has had his moments over the last couple of weeks. He's had some, some big games, and you, know, you can see that the trust has not eroded in Jason Tatum at all. Uh, by Brad Stevens. He hasn't played well, but he's been in the game in, in the fourth quarter, and he's made some big shots. But uh, I just think they want him to kind of crash through it. Um, I don't think the finger is that big an issue in terms of affecting his shot. He certainly has slumped you know, since that injury, and really since the London trip has kind of uh, uh, you know, sort of fallen apart a little bit from the three-point line. But I, I think they, just, they see him as a guy that needs to just kind of power through that wall and, and get back into the mix. He's such a gifted offensive player. I, I don't think they'll they'll lose any trust in him. I don't think they'll stop playing him 30 minutes a night. But remember, this is a guy that you know came into the season, you know, having played 30 college games at 28 minutes per game. Now he's at what, you know, 50 NBA games at right around 30 minutes per game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's understandable uh, you know, a bit of whiplash to him, especially when you come into the year thinking that you're part of a a three-man rotation with uh, Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown, all of a sudden you're, you know, the starting swingman for the number 1 seed in the East. So it's bad enough, Chris, that you said that Greg Monroe's addition has adversely affected Aaron Baines because I think we all love Baines. But on top of that, Monroe just hasn't been very good. Now, in fairness, he hasn't had a lot of time to practice and get up to date, up to speed, acclimated with this team, all of that. But there's some concern out there as to what he actually brings to this club just because of how kind of colossally slow he is on the court. What's his role going to be with this club? 
Well, I think his conditioning will probably dictate that. I think he came to the team and you know, wasn't in the best of shape, um, you know, from from his time in Phoenix, and certainly maybe not the kind of shape that Boston needs him in. But you know, the Celtics they, they like his offensive potential, and, and as I mentioned, that second unit's been a problem. They think that Greg Monroe can kind of anchor that second unit. They think he can be, you know, kind of the the, the low post threat that they've yet to have uh, over the last few years. And I can see that. I mean, I can see him being effective from that low post. He's just going to have to work his way back into shape, you know, understand the plays a little bit more. I've always been pretty high on Greg Monroe, and as, as you've seen, he's killed the Celtics over the years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think he can be kind of a, a double-double threat coming off the bench. But as much as anything, there'll be matchup, you know, scenarios where some night Darren Baines, you know, gets the bulk of those minutes. And, you know, some nights, as we've already seen, Greg Monroe is going to get them. As we sit here in, in mid-February now, some of the bigger names, they've been scooped up on the buyout market. Do you still think Danny Ainge is going to be active there? Oh, I think he's very active now. It's just, uh, you know, this is one of those those weird years, or the first year in a while, the trade deadlines have moved up. So now there's kind of, you know, three weeks to for teams to play chicken with their players. Hmm. And, you know, some guys were obvious buyout candidates, Bellinelli, Joe Johnson, uh, to name two. Um, other guys will be less, uh, you know, less obvious. And that's why I think over the next, you know, week or so, you're going to see players and teams that, that want to part ways, talk to each other about how much money they want to leave on the table and um, and and then kind of go from there. So I, I think there'll be someone on the market. Just, you know, they're not going to go out and sign like, a, you know, a Tony Allen because he's not the two-way player that they need. But if there's an Ersan Eliasova type that hits the market, which is distinctly possible, I, I absolutely think they'll make a run at him. So this hasn't gotten a lot of play and probably for good reason, but Chris Bosh said he wants to make an NBA comeback, prefers to sign with a contender. Is he an option for Boston? No, he, he's not an option for anybody. Chris Bosh <laughs> was ruled medically unfit to play by the Heat. That was backed up and reinforced by the NBA. Um, you don't go doctor shopping in, in this league. You just don't. And, you know, Boston knows that as well as anybody. The Reggie Lewis situation looms, mm-hmm. still looms large across the league. I mean, I, I admire and respect Chris Bosch for wanting to play, you know, for believing it's possible. But uh, I, I think his career is probably over. Giant question mark on this club always surrounds Gordon Hayward. That's the guy, right? This is the guy they need. Why can't they get him? Well, for obvious reasons. He's hurt. But do you believe he's going to play this season? Where? How do you feel about it as things stand right now? You know, I, I don't think he's going to play, and I've vacillated a lot on that over the last month or two. But, you know, it's funny. He was at the arena the other night, and I was looking at that ankle. He's no brace on it, so it, that's a good thing. But it's still purple, and it's still, hmm. you know, kind of swollen. And, and we're, you know, fast approaching March right now. And I, I don't know how you get Gordon Hayward back into shape fast enough to uh, to, to be able to play for a playoff team. I mean, I, I you know, and Brad Stevens said it before, he said it to me on the radio the other day, um, they're not having holding out hope that Gordon Hayward comes back. I mean, I guess anything can happen, but right now I would put it at a 90-plus percent no kind of guess. I know you believe in Cleveland. You've talked a lot about that since their moves. I do, too. In fact, I never counted them out prior to that as badly as they were playing just because I think when you have the best player in the world on your team, it's premature to say, oh, they're not going anywhere. But with all we know right now, who has the edge between the Seas, the Cavs, and the Raptors in the East? You know, I'd probably give... I still got to give Cleveland the edge right now, um, but Toronto scares me. I mean, Toronto, you know, the way they're playing, you know, offensively, no longer isolation heavy. Uh, the bench with these young guys stepping in, guys nobody's ever heard of, Pascal Siakam and Dylan Wright and uh, Fred Van Vliet, they're playing great roles right now. I, I wonder what they look like in the playoffs. Can they keep that going? Uh, but right now, they're, they're a little tough. But Cleveland, those additions they made, and we saw this last week, I mean, you surround LeBron James with consistent shooters, he's tough to stop. And Rodney Hood is 
know, him shooting 40-plus percent of open threes is, is not an aberration. Jordan Clarkson is going to make shots. George Hill running a team patiently in the half court is you know, kind of what the definition of George Hill is. So uh, I think he's, I think those guys are going to be huge additions to them. And I, I just thought Kobe Allman did a fantastic job with those deals, and, and they're going to be tough to beat. I think this is what a lot of people miss, Chris, that you certainly don't. This, it's, this league, it's, it's not necessarily about names. I mean, Dwayne Wade, Derrick Rose, Isaiah Thomas, like these are names. But they're not the talent that that Cleveland club needed. And finding the right complementary pieces around LeBron James, clearly, I don't know about an answer. Time is going to bear that one out, but a big improvement. Yeah, I mean, no question. I mean, they, they went out. Look, it's, it's easy to make the type of deals that they did when you're willing to take on bad contracts and you're willing to move your first-round pick. But they were, and they did. And, you know, they, they got guys that I think not only can, can help them short-term, but you know, long-term, you know, there's no reason to believe Rodney Hood can't come back. There's no reason to believe that, that Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance can't be part of the rotation for years to come. So, you know, they are not only helped themselves this year, but I think they put themselves in a good position to recruit LeBron James in, in, in a few months. Well, that's just where I was going to go. With these moves, and what is the likelihood now that, uh, and a lot can change, especially depending on the playoff run, but what's the likelihood LeBron does stay, or are you, like many others, just kind of waiting for him to leave? You know, so hard to, to gauge right now. I mean, I, I don't know what goes through LeBron's head. I mean, is he you know, hell-bent on playing with his friends again? Does that mean he goes to Houston and plays with Harden and Paul? Or is there some other scenario? What we learned in 2010 was that you know, the coming together of the Heat was in part kind of uh, originated at the Olympics, you know, several years before that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we'll learn over the next, uh, you know, couple of months that maybe something like that could have been in play there. Maybe he's been talking to Paul George or, you know, DeMarcus Cousins wanted to make it a play to go to L.A. Uh, I think that, that LeBron, he, he's very calculated and has always, you know, has some kind of information that we don't have uh, at hand. So I, that's that's tough. But Cleveland – they put their best foot forward, no question. I mean, outside of moving that Brooklyn pick, uh, they did everything they could to to enhance that team. Well, I think we can all comfortably say LeBron and Isaiah Thomas are not going to be on the same team next year. LeBron, uh, he could go to L.A. Thomas probably won't be back there unless they do opt to re-sign him, provided LeBron doesn't go. But Thomas and Rajon Rondo, a couple of former Celtics guards, as we all know, clashed the other night, apparently in part because of that video tribute drama that even though Paul Pierce's number is already in the rafters, it's the story that won't go away, which kind of entertains me. I don't know about you, but do you think that this is really, this is the real question at the heart of this thing for me that you don't hear a lot of people talking about, and I'm very curious as to your perspective. Do you think IT inflates his place in Celtics history in his own mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's something to that. I mean, Isaiah, I mean, it still is tough for Isaiah to, to accept that he's not there anymore. I mean, Isaiah really believed that that he would have a, a five, six, seven, eight-year career as a Celtic, that, that he had a chance to have his number retired as well and then to have the rug pulled out from him. And I think that still resonates with, with Isaiah Thomas. And there's frustration there. But, uh, you, know, that, you know, Rondo is in part right. You know, what he said, like, we, we give video tributes for one good season or for three years. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, he, he was part of something that was special, whereas Isaiah had, you know, maybe the most inspirational playoff run I've ever seen. But mm-hmm. um, it was just, just one year. It didn't end. Uh, even in a finals appearance. So, you know, I understand it. It doesn't surprise me at all, though, that, that, that Rondo would turn this into a feud over that. I mean, that's just a, a pretty vintage Rajon Rondo move. There's no way to know this, and, and health is such a big part of it, but Thomas is, what, next year, I think, going to be in his eighth NBA season, conceivably could be on his sixth team at that point. Do you think when all this is done, it's possible we look back and say the, the Boston tenure as, as amazing and inspiring and all-star and MVP contender last year all that went with it is going to be the anomaly 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he'll ever get back to being a top five MVP player. I do think that there's an opportunity with the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers, you know, I, I talked to Luke Walton about this the other day. They like him, and, and they like what he's what, what he brings in terms of maybe playing alongside Lonzo in the future. I mean, he's, Lonzo's a six seven, you know, point guard, and Isaiah could conceivably play off him if he, uh, you know, kind of you know, has the the right mindset with all that. So I think he can get back, and plus, he's going to get healthy again. He's going to be a better player. And, Look, we've seen, you know, counting out Isaiah Thomas is foolish. I mean, this guy overcomes adversity as well as any player I've ever seen. And and even though he may not, you know, have that kind of storybook ending that he hoped he had uh, playing with Boston, I think he can still be an all-star caliber player on the right team. He's just got to gotta find that team because, as we talked about earlier with, with Smart and the options he has, I think Isaiah will have equally limited options on the free agent market. All right, Chris Mannix, senior writer at Yahoo Sports, utility man, you might say, at NBC Sports Boston when it comes to their basketball coverage. Does a great job at all places. Make sure you check him out on Twitter. Chris, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate it. You got it, man. Anytime. So great stuff from Chris Mannix. Again, you can go back. You, you can check him on Twitter, read all of his content. He wrote something interesting about the Cavs recently. He's just he's killing it, as he tends to do, and I appreciate him coming on to my first, my maiden voyage here on Celtics Beat. Let's mix in a couple of tweets before I go, just that I quickly pulled off a, off the Twitter machine there from uh, Meatsos from at Delapis. Uh, what's the biggest key for the Seas to get out of this funk that they are in since the London trip? Well, again, we've talked about it quite a bit, but Marcus Smart coming back, that's a huge one. He just it's, it's contagious what he does out there on the floor in terms of the work ethic and energy and and aggressiveness and intensity, his general behavior, guys rally around that, and it's missing right now. There's a malaise about this group that some of that, again, talked about it with Chris, is on Brad Stevens and just trying to get his team to show up earlier in games. But there has been a a, a chasm-sized lack of energy compared to what we're used to seeing from Brad Stevens' teams in general. That's going to be one of the big ones. They're not just going to continue in this rut for the stretch run the final 23 games. I can promise you that. They're going to get themselves ready for the playoffs, but it's not going to be easy. I think this this week-long break that they have, the eight, nine days off, it's it's going to be really helpful. Also from uh, Ellipser, <laughs> this, I hope this is not serious. When is Al Horford's contract up? I could pay any dude in the NBA the minimum to shoot wide-open threes from the top of the key. I hardly want to dignify that with a response, other than to say if that is what you believe Al Horford's value is to this team, and that is it, not the defense and leadership and all-around presence offensively and filling out the stat sheet and doing different things on a given night and and, uh, the excellent field goal percentage and actually making threes, a guy who didn't even take any threes until a couple of years ago, and all of a sudden making them at well over a 40% clip is not remarkably worth the contract that he has paid. I can't help you. You know, I'm not sure how much basketball you actually watch. And plus, look, here at CLNS, I don't want to have to sick Anna Horford at you, but uh, she hosts a pod here, and she will. She will. Speaks her mind on Twitter. You want to criticize her brother, she'll go right after you. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to do a uh, a joint pod, me and Anna, sometime, I think. We'll get Al on. It'll, it'll be great. It, it'll, we'll, I'm, I'm sure he would really enjoy that more than anybody else. So again, episode 250 of Celtics Beat, and my first brought to you by RX Bar. Get your fix today with 25% off your first order. Just simply visit rxbar.com slash CLNS and use the promo code CLNS at checkout. Thanks again to Chris Maddox from Yahoo Sports. Tons of great stuff there. You should go back, check it out if you happen to scroll through any of it. That was a mistake. You should go back, you should listen. Thanks as well 
to Nick, to Larry, to Evan, everyone else for the great welcome at CLNS Media. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're just getting started. Future projects are on the way. There's a lot of great stuff in store. And, of course, I welcome your feedback, the good, the bad, the ugly. I don't care. I just like talking to you. Maybe I'm a little lonely. At Adam M. Kaufman is where you can find me. Please do that, of course. Thank you very much for listening. Oh, boy. Oh, you hear Gino. Hopefully that means we had a good show, but whatever the case, I know it means I got to go. All right, it's good to be back. Hit me again, at Adam M. Kaufman on Twitter. I'll talk to you soon.